from Jordan-Hare Stadium to Auburn Arena. From the Plains to the recruiting trail and all points in between. If it's Auburn, we've got it covered. Did I say War Eagle? Or War Eagle. That's it? War Eagle. This is the Auburn Undercover Podcast with Brandon Marcello. Hey everybody, what's going on? Welcome to another edition of the Auburn Undercover Podcast. I am Keith Niebuhr, and as always, I'm joined by some of my colleagues at 24-7 Sports and Auburn Undercover, and today it's Brandon Marcello and Jason Caldwell, who just do such an outstanding job covering the Auburn Tigers athletic program, and uh, today we're going to talk about A-Day, uh, football, the bread and butter, the big program, the one that uh, that everybody's talking about 365 days a year, and coming off A-Day weekend, guys, there's a lot to discuss, and, and first and foremost, the quarterbacks, because with Jarrett Stidham having departed for the NFL, that job is is up for grabs. And there's four young guys on scholarship that went out this spring trying to win that starting role. And uh, a few people have emerged, it, it feels like anyway. But on Saturday at A-Day, uh, Tiger quarterbacks completed 29 of 36 passes for 367 yards and five touchdowns. And that was in the high-powered first half. I mean, that's the high-powered uh, um, is the phrase that AuburnTigers.com used, but it was. It, that's fairly accurate. The quarterbacks, by and large, look pretty good. Now, how much can you tell from what essentially is just a practice? That's up for debate. But, uh, uh, Brandon, let's start with you. What are some of your general impressions of the quarterbacks, and who do you think has emerged from this group? Well, I think we've we've been hearing the last couple of weeks that the, the top two guys are Bo Nix and, and Joey Gatewood, and I, I think they just further proved that in the – in the scrimmage, I know um, Malik Willis had a pretty good day, you know, stat wise. But you know, after those coaches reviewed film and after talking to a couple people, uh, they I've been told it's pretty accurate that it's it's between Bo and it's going to be between Joey when they get to camp uh, in August, unless something drastic changes. But I, I was very impressed with Bo Nix's poise. I was also impressed by his speed. I. I knew he could run. I'd only watched like two high school games of his, including the state championship game, and I knew he was able to run. But he just seemed faster than I remembered, and I don't know if that was just I just misremembered or he's gotten faster. He looks bigger, too. I thought even in the state championship game back in December, he looked like a college quarterback at that point because of his thick arms and his and his stature. But I was impressed with just uh, how he looks in the pocket. I know that – you know, even when there was pressure, wasn't necessarily he had he had to be afraid to get sacked. But I thought he did a good job of standing in there and also making decisions on when to run the ball with some of these zone read plays. And then Joey Gatewood, you know, the one knock that's been on him is his his passing ability, and he did very well. He was eight of twelve, threw for two touchdowns. Um, I was very impressed by him, especially down the field hitting receivers. So I, I think it's. Uh, I wouldn't say no-brainer, but all signs point to it being a Bo Nix versus Joey Gatewood battle uh, in August when everything rolls around. And and as I've said on the podcast before, I I know it's way super early to say this, but I just wouldn't be shocked if both of them play in the Oregon game. But the, the, from the quarterback perspective, that's what stood out to me. And we'll talk more and more about this scrimmage. But another thing that I think that led to these quarterbacks being a little bit more successful – then in the past was one, the offensive lines, uh, much, much more of a veteran group, but two, 
there wasn't any jitteriness, so to speak, on the on the offense. It seemed like they were in a rhythm. They knew what they were doing. There seemed to be some herky-jerky moments over these last couple of years, and I think things have changed a little bit with one voice on the headset, so to speak, with Gus Malzahn, even if it was a, a, a scrimmage, an A-day scrimmage. But it's clear that there's one voice, there's one mind. And uh, anyway, that's my takeaways. I think it's those two guys, and uh, it's going to be fun to cover here through the summer and then obviously when they get to August. Jason, coming out of high school, and Bo came out of high school just a couple of months ago, Bo Nix, Joey Gatewood uh, was part of the 2018 class as an early enrollee, but we knew that Joey Gatewood could really run, um, but there were questions about his passing because, you know, he'd never had a private QB coach, uh, he had split times as a starting quarterback, so you always wondered about that element of his game. Now, Bo Nix, you knew he could throw the ball exceptionally well, and you knew he was a good athlete, but maybe you didn't know he could run as well as... He showed off this weekend at A-Day. So what have we learned about these two guys? Is it maybe that they're more complete players than we thought? Yeah, I think starting with Joey because he's a guy that's been here for a year. And, and I think the thing you have to, to kind of take into context with him is is Saturday was not a favorite of Joey Gatewood. I mean, you think about it, I think back to, to Cam Newton in his, his A-Day game. I think mean, he was two for four passing um, Nick Marshall, th- those guys, when you put the ball in their hands and make somebody tackle them, it changes the game completely. And that's something that we didn't get to see from Joey Gatewood the other day that's an added dimension of his that I think you know adds just something completely different for this offense. I had somebody that, that – uh, a high school coach said, hey, didn't see any of the power, any of those things in the running game. I said, that, you know, that's what will be added – if Joey Gatewood is a starter, you'll have those quarterback power plays that you had under Cam Newton in 2010, especially. And it's, it's an added dimension to the offense that you just don't know completely what it's going to look like until those things are in play and you make that other defense tackling. But there's no question that you saw Saturday, the, the things he's done in the passing game to improve touch. And the one thing he can do, and we saw it, you know, on Saturday is he can throw a deep ball. And in Gus Malzahn's offense, if you can run it, play action, throw the deep ball, that's been the success for for really for winning and, and the winning formula for him. So I agree with Brandon completely. I think Joey Gatewood is one of the guys in the mix, and I think Bo Nix is the other. I really do. I think we saw the other day that people finally got a chance to see him in his element. Um, and that is, hey, snap the ball and and – let him make decisions on the run. And we saw the other day why he only got sacked three times in high school, period, because he doesn't hold on to the ball. He gets rid of it. And I thought the most impressive thing Saturday was him checking down time and time again, taking those six, seven-yard plays that the defense gave him. And and that's something that's hard to do sometimes for a young quarterback because you want to go out there and you want to make the home run. And he can do that too. But I thought him – settling in it and you're right comfort in the offense for a guy that's only been here since January you saw a guy that that grew up you know playing for and in the household of a guy that's coached quarterbacks at this level play quarterback at this level and he's he's grown up playing the position so those are things that stood out to me and and Brandon about Bo Nix and you know I've watched him probably a dozen times since he was an eighth grader um when when he was back you know at Scottsboro High School um, those two things are completely accurate. He is a bigger guy right now than he was, and it's more torso. You can see it in his chest and his upper body that he's a more physical player 
than he's ever been. And, and that's not to, you know, that's to be expected when you get in a college strength and conditioning program. But to, to that end, he's also quicker and more explosive. We saw that Saturday. He's always been able to run, but we saw him run and, and run away from some guys Saturday. And you add that dimension to him in this offense. And um, those are two things and two guys that I, I think that I, you know, I, I've said it for a while and I really believe it now. Um, that you're right on, on on the money. I think both those guys are going to play against Oregon and get into the mix and maybe do some different things in this offense. And um, to agree with you one more time, I think the one voice is completely the difference in this offense. We saw it in the bowl game kind of take root then, and then we saw it this spring and in the spring game on Saturday – but there's one mind, one direction, one voice on this offense right now, and that's Gus Malzahn. And, uh, you know, I th- we've thought for a while that that's probably the, the one thing that needed to be done and probably the one thing that had to be done. And so far from a bowl game to now, it looks like it was the right decision. Uh, well, we're gonna, we've got a lot to discuss. We've got a lot more to talk about with the team itself. But I want to stay with the quarterbacks just for a few more minutes here and I, I just uh, run a couple things by you guys and get your opinions. Uh, you know, people ask me, and again, I cover the recruiting aspect, but I read enough of your stories and I'm around the athletic complex enough where I still chat up these guys and, and uh, other people around the program to get some insight or not to get some insight, but you do get insight. And uh, with Joey Gatewood, I, I think uh, – from my point of view, I haven't seen a guy uh, really done a 180 more than this young man in terms of just general maturity. Uh, this was a guy that, quite frankly, uh, wasn't incredibly mature. And Jason, you'll back me up on this as a high school player. Uh, you know, we we covered his games, and if he wasn't playing, he wasn't really a guy that was, you know, on the sideline running up to teammates and you know supporting them. And remember, he had to split time his senior year. Um, you know, actually junior year, too, but he was never really the full-time guy. And and when he got to Auburn, obviously there were some, uh, and Brandon, you've written about this, I, I guess, extensively, you know, some maturity issues. And and by all indications, and again, I want to get y'all's thoughts on this, but from what everything I've heard is that this guy has, has really turned it around just from a maturity aspect. And then uh, the second part of that is that uh, I spoke to somebody that's very close, has some unbelievable insight, very close to the Auburn program uh, the other day. Uh, and he said that he thought, and, and I want to get your opinions on this, that Bo Nix has probably been the best thing that ever happened to Joey Gatewood, uh, that Joey has had no choice but to step it up, uh, both on and off the field, on the field, uh, in the meeting rooms, uh, from the maturity element, you know, from being a leader, which is what you need out of the quarterback position. It's not requested. It's not required. It's demanded. Uh, so I wanted to get your two thoughts on that. First, Joey Gatewood's maturity level, which you all have seen, and then do you think that, you know, just Bo Nix being at Auburn has helped accelerate that growth from Joey? Uh, uh, Brandon, we'll start with you. I think you look no further. I mean, just at face value, look at his jersey number. Um, he's got his jersey back, uh, number one. He's not number 13 anymore. I think he had a lot of things to do to kind of earn his keep and earn his way back. Um, not necessarily into the good graces of the coaches, but to prove himself to his teammates, to himself, and to the coaches as well a little bit. And I think what you've seen is a completely different Joey Gatewood from this time last year to now. I mean, Gus Malzahn said it after the scrimmage. You guys saw it in the scrimmage. And all the reviews we kept hearing from behind closed doors was that Joey Gatewood is 
really in the mix of this. It isn't, they're not, this isn't just, you know, for show that, oh, it's Bo Nix's show, but we're going to drag people along, make them think that Joey Gatewood's in the mix and everything. No, Joey Gatewood really is in the mix. And I would say if they had to play a game tomorrow, he would start. Um, and Bo Nix would probably come in, as we've mentioned before. But I think Joey Gatewood would start. In fact, they, I had been hearing that Gatewood had the advantage slightly just because the receivers hadn't really had a big breakout player or two. And then we saw in the spring game, Matthew Hill and Seth Williams do what they did. And the coaches weren't necessarily shocked by that, but it's something that wasn't quite happening consistently. And boy, did it happen consistently uh, in the scrimmage. You didn't see a lot of drop passes and everything. And when these quarterbacks are developing this chemistry with all with these same receivers and they're both hooking up with these same guys over and over again, it shows to me that one, the connection with the players is there, but two, also, they're just so much more comfortable in this offense. And, you know, we'll talk about Bo Nix and everything he brings to the table, but Joey Gatewood and what he's doing as a passer right now, I, I can't blow it up enough because I'm surprised by it a little bit, to be quite honest. And, man, part of me was sitting up there, you know, I don't want to see players get hurt or the threat of it, but I was wanting to see them go live just for a quarter so I could see Joey Gatewood in his natural element and being able to take off and run with the ball and be tackled. Um, and players after that scrimmage, and um, maybe by the time people listen to this, I'm writing a story about this. I mean, I had two players comparing him to Cam Newton. Now, physically, you look at him, he looks like Cam Newton, his stature and everything. I don't know if you could ever compare anybody to Cam Newton, to be quite honest. You know, that's a once-in-a-generation talent. But he's that type of player. He's that type of runner. And, you know, Joey doesn't like hearing those comparisons, but the comparisons come from the players because they grew up. I mean, listen, let's face it. These guys were kids and were idolizing Cam Newton when he was at Auburn for that season and then got into the NFL. So when they see Joey Gatewood, the only thing that reminds them of, of, of Joey Gatewood is Cam Newton. And if we can just see, I want to see a glimpse of what he can do running the ball in, in college football. And, I think the coaches do too. And after that first scrimmage where they were live, I think they came away impressed enough to where a lot of them thought that it wasn't Bo Nix that necessarily is Bo Nix's job to, to, to lose that a lot of people thought going in. But maybe Joey Gatewood is the guy and maybe, maybe Bo Nix is the guy that comes off the bench or maybe Joe Gatewood is the guy for the next couple of years. And all of a sudden Bo Nix is having to fight for it. I think this is a great problem for Auburn to have because they're in a situation where, you know, everybody keeps thinking it's three or four men. It's This is a true two-man battle. And with what Gatewood has done this spring has really challenged Bo Nix. And it can only help this Auburn offense. And number two, it can only help Bo Nix. Because, you know, you say, the you know, you've heard the best thing that happened to Joey Gatewood was Bo Nix coming in. I think the best thing that could have happened to Bo Nix was Joey Gatewood playing the way he is right now. Because... Listen, no one rests on their laurels as a football player, but when you have people around you talking, hey, it's Bo Nix's job to win. We all know that. And then you see what you saw this past spring. No one's saying that anymore. So Bo Nix, even subliminally in the back of his mind, has no reason to lay back right now and think he's going to win that job because right now I I would say Joey Gatewood's the better, more polished quarterback in the system if they had to play today. 
but Bo Nix is probably the most fundamentally and technique, uh, perfected, so to speak, quarterback there is out there for Auburn. But I'm, I'm not shocked. I'm not necessarily surprised, but I'm pleasantly pleased that, that Auburn's in this position they're in right now after, let's face it, last season, they didn't, they had players behind Jared Stidham. But they didn't have players like this, even when Gatewood was on the sideline. It's it's been quite the development these last few months. Jason, I wanted to get your thoughts uh, about Bo Nix more than Gatewood because you've covered him for so long. Like me, you you really have watched Bo grow up uh, from being a kid that was under six feet to being this this guy that actually looks like a college man now. What is it about him? You know, obviously he's got these physical tools, but what is about his mental makeup? that has made him so prepared to be in this position. I, I get that his dad was a co- college coach and a great college player at Auburn and all that, but what is it between Bo's years that he has? And then also, all your years covering Auburn, and you've been here longer than Brandon and I, is there anyone you could compare him to? Has there been a freshman quarterback at Auburn, a true freshman quarterback, this advanced at this stage? Well, as far as the second question, I can answer that one easy. No, because the you know we've seen it. This game is much different than it was even ten years ago. These guys are more prepared than they've ever been to come in and, and be ready to play in this in this system uh, in college football. We've seen it across the country. You know, you think back and and for us, you know, in this game and watching Eric Zire was kind of the guy you went, oh well, that that's that's it, you know, but. You haven't seen other guys, and now you see more and more and more. Now every year, not only are guys playing, but they're playing at a high level. And it's, you know, you look at it, it's the best of both worlds in a guy like Bo Nix. You have the, the the bloodlines with his dad growing up in that system, playing for him. But then you have the 7-on-7 seven seven game to sharpen those tools um, throughout the summer. Obviously played with Cam Newton's team last year. Um to sharpen those tools, to get them more prepared for coverage, all those things. Those are things he's been looking at, again, for five years. So he's been developing and working on this, you know, to get prepared for this, um, to be ready to go. But then again, it's physical too. Um, you got to continue to grow and, and do those things. Um, strong arm, work on that. We've seen that's really been the biggest thing for me in two years for Bo Nix is he's gone from a guy that had pretty good arm strength so we saw Saturday, he is making, you know, NFL type throws across the field, doing some of the, and those are things that, that he has continued to develop and work on. And the mental game's there. That's where he reminds me so much of his dad. His dad was a guy who thought his way around a football field. Bo can do those things, but then you add in the athleticism and and the things that his dad wasn't as good as he is now. It, it, it Bo's already doing. Um, you add those three things together, and you got a guy that is more prepared to come in and play and have success as a true freshman um, than any Auburn quarterback I can remember. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. 
You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. Exiting spring practice for each of you, just quick answers. Is Auburn in better shape at the quarterback position, worse shape at the quarterback position, or about where you thought they'd be at the quarterback position? Again, exiting spring practice. Jason, quick answer from you. Uh, much better. Um, I thought they would have a chance to develop and continue for two guys to step up. And, and I think we, we can all agree that it's it looks like it's a two-man battle for those two guys to step up. And, and no knock against Malik Willis because he had a really good spring game the other day. But I think you're looking to have those two guys step up and to play well and to have them be able to get these reps and the things you're going to get between the summer and in, in fall camp. Um, I think it's in much better position than I pictured it coming out of spring. All right, same question for you, Brandon. Yeah, I mean, same, I, I, I echo Jason completely there. Uh, I think it's a two-man race, and I'm surprised at just how polished and, and well-conditioned uh, Bo Nix looked. And then also, just as I mentioned earlier, just the, the progression of Joey Gatewood over this last calendar year, calendar year is incredible. And if he ends up being the starting quarterback or playing a lot, this upcoming season, uh, he's going to be the story of the year for for Auburn, no matter what. But um, I, I think they're in a much better position right now. Um, and I'll I'll say this: um, I think Jared Stidham is an amazingly talented quarterback and everything. I think he was hamstrung a little bit um, last season um, by some play calling and decisions and everything like that, but. It certainly seems like these two quarterbacks, they're going to let them let them loose um, whoever plays the most. And uh, that only builds confidence in a quarterback. They did that all spring, and I think that's part of the reason why they perform so well because they, they haven't been afraid to throw the kitchen sink, so to speak, at these guys and let them handle it. And uh, save for like three mistakes by all the quarterbacks in the second half, I've been told it was a pretty flawless uh, day by uh, the top three quarterbacks, Malik Willis, Gatewood, and uh, Bo Nix. All right, guys, moving on. The <laughs> the one area that everybody was saying, and you guys were writing in your insiders, where Auburn was sort of struggling, at, you know, not doing as well as you thought they would do, was at the receiver position. That was going into A-Day. Coming out of A-Day, you've got Seth Williams, four catches, 103 yards, Two touchdowns, some spectacular plays, as always, with him. Eli Stove coming back from injury, looking good. Matthew Hill doing some special things. Uh, Marquise McClain had a solid day. Uh, you know, just a, a lot of good play from the receivers. And then you had Matthew Hill say, hey, I think Auburn's going to have the best receiving group in the country. Now, that's a that's a big up, a big a big jump from what we were hearing just you know, a week or so ago that you know these guys really hadn't been that great so far in the spring. Now, obviously, uh, Anthony Schwartz is running track. Will Hastings, uh, you know, hasn't been full go. But uh, did the receivers surprise you at all yesterday, Brandon, or did they play to where you thought they should have been all along anyway? I I, I was happy to see Matthew Hill get as many opportunities as he did um, because going into last season, you know, he was my predict- prediction and not Seth Williams, so I think he's great too, obviously. I thought Matthew Hill between him and Seth would probably have more of an impact between the two last season. But that didn't happen. It was the exact opposite – 
And what you're seeing now is Auburn's class of 2018, so to speak, all kind of coming together at that receiver spot, those receiver spots and performing kind of like everybody expected, which was a very high expectation, high watermark for them to hit. And I think the thing with Matthew Hill, you know, he had five catches, 128 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, split amongst the uh, orange and blue teams. But I think the thing with Hill is everybody's going to marvel at what he did down the field. And that's great. He had, what, like a 49, a 41-yard touchdown catch. But the the thing that Gus Malzahn pointed out, and this is what his position is going to be because he had to play behind Ryan Davis, who was the screen pass king, so to speak, over these last couple seasons. His last catch was on a tunnel screen, and he took that thing, I think, 35 yards and nearly broke it for a touchdown on the second-to-last play of the entire scrimmage when they were using a running clock. And that's what Matthew Hill provides the offense that they're hoping this season. And not just him, but some other receivers, including Anthony Schwartz. Yes, you know, we've seen, like, Anthony Schwartz go downfield because of his speed, get open, and catch passes. But I think more than you what you saw last season – this year, you're going to see a lot of those receivers that are so fast and have great sure hands playing in space and getting catches and making making plays after the catch, which is going to speed this offense up even more so than what we've seen in the last two, three years, really. And Hill is a key component to that, I believe. And with Anthony Schwartz out, Matthew Hill made the most of that opportunity this spring, and especially in the A-Day game. And I thought he did a phenomenal job. Seth Williams just continues to develop. And I think Seth Williams is going to be a guy that Auburn fans are talking about for a long time when his career finally ends at Auburn. But when you get into this upcoming season, they've got so much speed at so many positions on the field this season. They're going to be able to do a lot of things, not just in the passing game, but in the running game and jet sweeps. I was joking with Eli Stove. I was like, okay, you're back, man. Um, so who's going to do the jet sweeps this year? You or, uh, <laughs> uh, Anthony Schwartz. And, uh, you know, he laughed about it. Said, yeah, I think maybe both of us can one from each side. So, um, they've, they've, they've it's, you know, everything sounds positive after spring. So sometimes you have to sit there and like kind of temper your expectations. But guys, I'm telling you that the, the talent at receiver, uh, for this roster is what they've been trying to get to for the last four years, really. And I know previous, you know, classes that have come in, whether it was Nate Craig Myers or Kyle Davis and even Duke Williams, all those guys have said, Hey, we're going to have the best receiving core of the nation. Damian Craig said it when he was a receivers coach when he was here. Um, you know, listen, that's a tough thing to do, but I'll say this. This has the talent level to be one of the best receiving cores in the SEC. They got some more development to, to kind of get to. But like I said, so much speed, so much talent across the field. They're going to be able to do so many different things at these different positions that they haven't been quite been able to do over these last few years. Uh, Jason, with all these young guys, we haven't mentioned Eli Stoke much. Uh, you know, coming off an injury from last season, very valuable player the year before. How important is, is it for Auburn to have a healthy Eli Stove in this offense? He can do a lot of things out there. Yeah, I, I think I think a healthy Eli Stove and a healthy Will Hastings. Um, those were the two forgotten guys last season. Uh, Eli Stove 
was the Mr. Explosive in the running game and the guy that, that catches the ball well, does those things. And Anthony Schwartz did a good job with that, but Stove was that veteran guy that had done it. And then Will Hastings in the middle of the field, third down, um, you know, that Julian Edelman type guy that Auburn didn't have. And now no question that you saw Seth Williams and you saw Schwartz, those guys, they made plays. They did those things. But what you don't know is the things they didn't do. And that's where Will Hastings makes the right decision, does those things. Those guys are physically more talented than Will Hastings. But to have those guys back is invaluable, for, especially for a young quarterback. And and it's going to be a guy, no matter who it is, Auburn's going to have a guy that's never started a game in college football start against Oregon, no matter who it is. And so um, having those veteran guys back to play a role and then, you know, as Brandon mentioned, the the difference and styles and talent at the wide receiver position. One thing I'm really looking forward to is is seeing Anthony Schwartz line up outside at that nine position that Darius Slayton played and in thinking about the possibilities of him stretching a defense. I think that's something that it, it could add another dimension to this offense and something else that, that we have I think everybody that, that's covered Auburn is is blue in the face talking about that we saw a little bit of Saturday was being able to move guys around at the wide receiver position without substituting. Move a guy inside, outside, instead of substituting. A yeah, line so, so crucial. You're exactly right, yeah. you got to be able to do that to go fast. There's no other way to go fast in college football now. And, you know, standing on the sidelines in games, especially in Athens last year, I was able to witness firsthand what teams can do to just shut it down. Because, you know, Kirby Smart, he's, he's faced Gus Miles on a bunch. He knew as soon as substitutions went on the field, he had a seven or eight seconds before he had to do anything. So they ran the clock down, and we saw it time and time again. Jarrett Stidham looking to the sidelines going, let's go, let's go, let's go, um, because Auburn was trying to then counter what George had done. If you don't substitute, then you dictate to the defense what they can and can't do, and it's not very much. you got to be pretty basic if a team's going fast, and especially – if it's going fast with more than just running the ball up the middle. If Auburn can continue to to move towards that, then this is an offense that, that can have, a, a, a I think, a lot of fun in 2019. All right, to reset, this is Keith Niebuhr. This is the Auburn Undercover Podcast. I'm with Brandon Marcello and Jason Caldwell, and we're recapping A-Day, big weekend at Auburn. Guys, the next subject here, and we're going to throw this one to you, Brandon, uh, the running backs, you know, Auburn fans love to to call Auburn and describe it as running back you, but over the last few years, there have been some grumblings out there that you know Auburn wasn't recruiting running backs at the level uh, that the fan base thought it should, and, and we've heard that the, some within the staff didn't think so either. But when you look at this roster now, and you've got Booby Whitlow, you've got Cam Martin, you've got Sean Shivers, Harold Joyner, and then the talented freshman DJ Williams, Mark Anthony Richards, who just signed, he's going to be coming in. Brandon, is the running back position, uh, is that going to be one of the strengths of this team? Because it, it certainly seems like it has the potential to be. I, I like what they've got. they got a good mix of guys, and I think Booby Willow is number one on that list. What's going to be interesting to watch is how they utilize Cam Martin and also DJ Williams. And you mentioned MAR coming in. Who knows what's going to happen there come August. But um, I was really impressed with Whitlow's running style uh, in the scrimmage. Um but the, the the person that stood out the most to me, and I think to a lot of people, just because he's new and you're wanting to know kind of how he runs, was DJ Williams. You know, um, low center of gravity, didn't let you know one guy hitting his leg bring him down or anything like that. 
He broke tackles. He had one long run, a 29-yarder. Yeah, 29-yarder, I believe, um, where he broke a tackle. And this was against the first-team defense and got a 29-yard gain out of it. Really great field awareness. The type of player that Auburn was really looking for there late in the uh, recruiting process. I know a lot of people are talking about, you know, you know, Appalachian State's only offered him, and then all of a sudden Auburn gets on him and everybody wants him. Uh, this is a guy that I, I don't think he's going to be a starter this year, but he's going to play a heavy, heavy, heavy um, role. But I think the the criticism, as you said, about the running backs over the last couple of years – there's been a couple of things. One, people are talking about recruiting, but two, Auburn always likes to have their bell cow guy in the last like four games of the season, and usually injuries pop up. We saw a carry on Johnson. I think that's a big reason why they weren't able to win the SEC championship game against Georgia uh, that season, 2017. Last year, the offensive line wasn't quite gelling. Then Booby Whitlow and Cam Martin, everybody's kind of dealing with nicks and bruises a little bit. I think this year... You know, I don't see a guy who's going to be like the SEC running back of the year, maybe. But what I see are three guys that I think they can turn to in a moment's notice and say, hey, I need you to carry the ball 20 times in this game. And they're going to get really good production. And not only that, but they've got the offensive line to do it. I've been, I was very impressed with what I saw. I know it was just really vanilla, but that first team offensive line uh, looked very good. And I, you know, I don't want to make comparisons, but as far as making the jump, I don't I don't know if we'll see a 2013 offensive line at Auburn quite like that um where they just dominate everybody. But as far as a jump with the same group, you can probably say this is like 2012 to 2013 as far as the development and all these guys coming back along the offensive line. That's kind of what we're seeing going into this year with this group. And that's certainly going to help these running backs because, uh, you know, they, they struggled a little bit. And then also pace. Pace is going to change a lot of things for everybody on this offense. And it's going to help the running backs too. But the guy that really stood out to me was DJ Williams yesterday, or excuse me, Saturday, but also, um, uh, I, I think Booby Willow showed, showed that he's the, the top guy going in. I'm just really, it, it's really interesting to me to see how they utilize Cam Martin and DJ Williams. Uh, once the season gets around. Offensive and defensive lines returning so many players. Obviously, the defensive line was stronger than the offensive line last year as a whole. But a lot of good players back, a lot of optimism in those two, in those two, uh, with those two units. Uh, secondary, some guys back, some losses, but a lot of guys back, a lot of key components. But at linebacker, guys, Auburn had to replace a lot. Montavious Atkins, uh, Atkinson, Daryl Williams, uh, you know, a lot needed to be replenished there. And Jason, I wanted to get your thoughts on uh, how that group looked. And, uh, and you know, obviously, you know, Travis Williams, a linebackers coach, and Kevin Steele, a defensive coordinator, they're going to be sending some younger guys out this year. But the word is they're pretty excited about the talent there. What were your uh, impressions of how that group performed? Yeah, I, I think the first thing you, you look at it, anytime you look at linebackers is, is – who's going to be that quarterback. And obviously Deshaun Davis has been that quarterback for this team. And, you know, people thought, okay, how do you replace that guy? And in my opinion, I thought that was going to be one of the, I won't say the easier things to do, but, but KJ Britt is a guy that is, is, is born to play this position. He is a guy that takes on that role. He has watched Deshaun Davis. He's been his shadow for a couple of years. 
and KJ Britt's a physical player and you watch him play and, and listen to him talk about the game and and you know that Auburn's in good position there. And I think you look at, at him and, and Chandler Wooten. Chandler Wooten really came on this spring and obviously uh went down on Saturday, um, some type of, of knee injury. We'll see the severity of that and kind of how much that'll impact him moving forward. But those two guys as the two veterans of this group have really had a good spring and then you look at the the two young guys that have come on and, and I think really solidified things. Um, first one of those is a Kobe McLean. Um, you know, when he was coming out of high school in Valdosta, you kind of jokingly say, Hey, it reminds you a lot of Travis Williams, uh, his position coach. And obviously I, I mean, I remember Travis Williams coming out of high school in Spring Valley in uh, Columbia, South Carolina, and a guy that was a tackling machine, but everybody said, well, is he too small to play in the sec? And, you know, people said a lot of the same things about Zacoby McLean going, can, it, can he play inside? And, you know, he got a taste of that last year, really played well. And, you know, now the guy that's up to 215 or so, but he plays much bigger than that. Um, smart player, physical, and he's a striker. And so you look at those guys that 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 all got playing time last year and you go, okay, who's next? And, and Owen Pepo comes in and, well, Keith, we had a chance to see a bunch of him since really since he was in the ninth grade and, the question was always, can he get big enough to play inside? You know, last year at, at Grayson High School, that was a loaded team, and you know he played more of a of a nickel. He was a guy that played a lot of coverage, and um, he comes into Auburn this spring, and he has worked his tail off in the weight room, in the training room, and obviously watching film to be ready to go. And he is, I think, he's blown away um, his teammates with what he's done. I mean, he's up to two hundred twenty pounds, and I thought he might have a chance to get to that weight maybe by, by the time he was a junior. I never expected it to be by the time of April, um, three months into in being in Auburn. And it's been the difference in this linebacker core, having him step in. And we saw him Saturday. But he's a guy that can run. He's physical. He's strong. We mentioned over 400 pounds right now. This is a guy that has NFL ability. He's always had it. But people questioned and wondered, where would it be? Could he play inside? This spring he showed that, and, and then you look at you know guys like Josh Marsh and Mike Harris that I think are guys that can give you some solid depth back there. So when well, you come out of the spring going, you built some depth, you found some guys that can play, and you found maybe a guy like an Owen Papo that is this different than than an Auburn linebacker's been in quite a while. You know, I'll tell you, I'm over at the athletic complex a good bit, and it's every time I see Owen Papo entering or exiting the building, he's got a giant. 10 inch thick notebook with him. Uh, and he's, uh, he's constantly looking at that thing. He is, uh, and it's not schoolwork, by the way, it's, it's football work. And, uh, he's a student of the game and I, he always had the raw physical tools, but Brandon, we're going to talk a little bit more about the defensive side of the ball. I'm going to get your, uh, impressions on a couple areas. One, uh, it, it seemed important that Auburn continue to develop pass rushers. I mean, you're not going to get off the field in the SEC, and Auburn did struggle at times last year, giving up third and longs, uh, a lot of them, in fact. Uh, so I wanted to get your take on this. Is Has Auburn done enough this spring, or are they, you know, you have a lot of sources, you're well-sourced within that program. How are they feeling about pass rushers, one, and then two, another sort of questionary, at least in my mind, maybe not as much with you all. I, don't, I haven't asked you guys, but depth in the secondary. So, does Auburn is Auburn developing enough pass rushers? And two, what's the status with the depth in the secondary right now, Brandon? Well, I'm excited. I don't know about you, Jason, but I'm excited to see Nick Coe 
and him playing multiple positions like he did this spring and what they end up doing with him next season. Um, uh, that, that could be very interesting. Now, I think just it all starts with Derek Brown, as we all know. I mean, he had two sacks in the, in the scrimmage, which listen, if people want to, you know, dog offensive numbers, it's even harder to really discern what, what a defense did based off of a spring scrimmage and, and the stats. But, Derek Brown is just a, the the guy's going to eat your face off if he gets into the backfield and he just disrupts everything and he's going to change things for them next season. Um, another guy that I really like that I that I think could have a big year is TD Moultrie. I just he had some things technique wise he had to kind of improve upon last season, but I just think he's gonna take that big next step forward this upcoming season. I really like him. And then everybody kind of forgets about Marlon Davidson for whatever reason. I don't know why. Every time I talk to them, I never hear like people talking about Marlon Davidson. I think he's just going to be so, so solid for them this season. He's going to allow them to move, like I said, some pieces around. That's why I'm so interested to see what Nick Coe does. And then when you're talking about the secondary, I think they're going to be fine there. I think the big thing that they had to figure out is like their nickel and star position there. Um, they had to hide some things, kind of shade some things last season because that was a weakness for them, uh, last season, uh, as we saw against LSU, um, and Tennessee, uh, on some plays. I think they're going to be fine in the secondary, um, going in. I'm, I'm interested to see kind of the progression of a Noah Igbenogany. Um, I want to see a little bit more Christian Tut, um, but I think they're going to be just fine back there based off what I've seen. And and the big hitter, I think, is going to be Daniel Thomas. I think that kid's got so much confidence in himself right now at the safety position that's going to rub off on everybody. And I, I think he's he's just a fantastic story. You know, as we all know, a guy that was offered on pretty much signing day a few years back was going to go to, to Minnesota, ends up coming to Auburn, and has turned into a really, really, really good starter for them. And he's just got so much confidence, like just overflowing with him, that is going to help them out so much. I think they've just done a really good job over these last several years, even as they've switched, you know, position coaches of recruiting talent and then also transferring talent over when they've needed to, like a Noah Benogany from receiver to corner to really keep things going year to year to year, even when they miss some pieces. But um, listen, that defense is going to be good enough for them to win seven to eight games, even when the offense is off. And uh, that's going to be the whole base of this entire team is that defense playing consistently and playing consistently well. And if that offense can get things going, it's going to help them out so much more as far as not, you know, you know, they're back breaking late in the season because they've had to carry the team for so much for so long. But uh, I really like that secondary, but man, that, that defensive line and as many bodies as they have and what they can rotate, I'm really looking forward to see what they do. All right. So for the last 40 minutes or so, all we've done is talk about who's look good. Here, they're great here. They're great there. But uh, I want each of you to kind of share your thoughts with those listening. And we'll start with you, Jason. I know I'm putting you on the spot here. But just a, a few things, a few major areas of concern as as Auburn heads into fall practice. You know, just some things where you say, hey, they've, they've got to tighten it up here. They've got to develop someone here. They need this. They need that. Uh, because – Look, if I mean, if they were perfect, that you'd have people talking about them as a national championship contender. Now, schedules murder. I get all that, but 
there are question marks. Jason, to you, what are those question marks? And then Brandon, when he's done, if you could answer the same question. You know, obviously you can look at, at you know, we, you know, wide receiver. Can they do that um, against, you know, obviously Auburn's defense was pretty basic on Saturday. Well, they'll be able to do that game in and game out. But to me, when I look at this team right now, um, the one spot I look at as, as going, this this is the thing that, that everything hinges on for me is, is the, the other defensive tackle spot opposite Derek Brown. I really think right now, um, that's the big question mark. Obviously, you look and um, you know you lose Dontavious Russell, a guy that played, I mean, just an unbelievable amount of football for you. When you're talking about losing a four-year starter at defensive tackle, um, that's a huge deal because of the double teams, all those things. And then you add in another injury to Daquan Newkirk this spring, and all of a sudden you start going, okay, uh, you got two guys there that you're true tackles that you're you're, you're counting on because you moved Alex Jackson to offensive tackle. So you look at at, at Tyrone Truesdale, who has been good and continued to develop, but he, is he that explosive guy in the middle of a defense that you feel like can be a difference maker? I think he's he's getting there, but is he there yet? I think that's a big question. And then Connus Miller, we saw Connus really hamstrung last year because he wasn't in early enough to get really conditioned to get ready to go. Can he be consistent? I think that's the question mark that I think everybody still has. Can Connors be that consistent guy? Because from a, a physical standpoint, he's a guy that has everything you're looking for at defensive tackle, but can he do it play in and play out day in and day out? I think that's what they're still waiting on because of that. I, and and because of that depth outside, and Brandon mentioned TD Moultrie, but you know, you got Big Cat, Richard Jubinor, and then well, you look at, at those two incoming freshmen, Derek Hall and Colby Wooden, both looked the part for sure. You've got a lot more options outside. Does that allow you to slide Nick Coe in and be a full-time defensive tackle? Because if you can do that and you can play, you know, Marlon Davidson, Nick Coe, Derek Brown, Big Cat, TD, Richard, whoever it is outside, you're talking about upping the level of a defensive line in terms of pass rush ability. And, hey, let's face it. Yeah, you you got to be able to stop the run, and those things are important. But the difference makers right now are teams that can get after the quarterback with four. And if you can get that job done, then to me that's that's the question right now that needs to be answered is is who's that other defensive tackle? Yeah, I agree with that completely about the other tackle spot. Uh, Connus Miller is a guy I wanted to mention. You could see you could see the glimpses at times, but he's not quite there yet. Um, I want to see, I wanted to see that in the spring scrimmage. He showed sometimes that he had it and other times it just wasn't quite there. But like you said, them moving Nick Coe around a little bit makes me wonder what exactly that five or four or, or even three will look like at times up front or whatever. Um, my other thing, my other concern is, is something that's, it's quantifiable. But it's also something that is that you you can't quite put your finger on ever. It's an intangible, and that and that's getting turnovers. Um, so many times when teams are replacing, say, a full unit, especially at linebacker, and then a piece here and there in the secondary, it might be kind of slower for them to force turnovers and get turnovers. I, I wonder if this is going to be a team that's able to force as many turnovers as they did last season, especially in some crucial spots with them missing some of those pieces, as I said, beyond the front front four. 
Um, I, I'm really interested to see what the linebackers can do. Can they force fumbles? Can they get in there and rip balls out? And then that secondary, that secondary was so, you know, concerned about just being there when the ball's there and knocking things down. They got some picks, but they've got, they've got Daniel Thomas. You've got, you know, Jeremiah Dinson. Can you do some things to get, you know, confused quarterbacks and get some interceptions? So that, that's a, like an intangible, but it's also quantifiable. <laughs> can, can they get the amount of turnovers you need to be, uh, a championship caliber program? Because that, that we, we talk about getting the quarterback. When you get to the quarterback, that's when turnovers happen. But Auburn's got to be able to get those turnovers. I can't just drop an interception here or there or whatever because those are those are going to be the difference between Auburn being in the middle of the SEC West and being at the top of the SEC West and, as a result, uh, near the top of the country. Well, you guys are the team experts, but I'm going to lay my opinion down here too. I, I think – for me, the biggest question mark still is this. It's the quarterbacks. And I have a lot of faith in these guys as being high ceiling guys, smart guys that can make the throws, that can make the runs, that can be leaders. But until they do it, until they do it on Saturday in Jordan-Hare Stadium or you know the Jerry Jerry's World in Texas or Bryant-Denny Stadium, just need to see it a lot of faith in those guys, but until they do it, you never really know. Now, finally, guys, just a, a couple surprises from each of you from the spring, a, a surprise player or two, and then we're going to turn to recruiting and uh, and get everybody out of here in a little bit. So, Brandon, for you, one or two surprises, uh, surprise players, guys to watch moving forward. Oh, man, that's difficult. Um, I'm going to say just Matthew Hill, even though I expected him to be a good player, but he showed a lot of versatility and, and an ability to do different things at the receiver spot that I wasn't necessarily expecting right off the bat this spring, even though he's been on campus. So I'm going to say Matthew Hill, even though that's the easy thing to say because you looked at his numbers. But that, that last catch, I'm telling you, that's like something you need to circle and replay and go, this is what this guy's going to do for this offense next season. Uh, defensively, um, goodness. You know, I, I don't know if there's a surprise guy because, listen, you've, you've known this, um, uh, Keith. I, I love K.J. Britt. I have loved him for two, three years and how he plays. And uh, I'm waiting for – I think he's going to have a big year. I, I just see it. I feel it in my bones. And um, so, yeah, those are going to be my two guys. But I, th- I think K.J. Britt's going to have a big year this year. Okay, Jason, what about you? <clears throat> I, I got to start with Harold Joyner. Um, I watched Harold Joyner play running back at Mountain Brook and always had questions, not about his, his physical ability, but about how physical he would be. Um, and he's answered those questions for me. I mean, they played him at, at H-back, fullback. I really believe Harold Joyner's a guy that, as he continues to develop in this offense, can be the guy that Gus Malzahn's been looking for since 2010. Um, he's had guys that have been able to play there and do, do a good job. But if you get a guy of Harold Joyner's ability at six, four, and if he settles into that role as, as that three back that can move around and weigh 235, 240 pounds, maybe the best hands on the team of anybody and the ability to, to actually take a hand off and run the ball too. That is a different dimension for this offense because like we talked about, if you don't have to substitute, how different can it look? Well, if you get a guy like that that can can line up at, at a tight end position, can line up at wide receiver, 
and then you can shift him back into the backfield and hand the ball to him, that creates a, a lot of pressure for a defense. So for me, Harold Joyner was probably the biggest surprise on offense. And then defense is probably Malcolm Askey. He'd been a guy without a home for a couple of years and kind of waiting to see if he could help these guys at all. And you know, the move to safety this spring with, with Smoke Monday out, um, that helped develop that depth that, that you know, we were kind of talking about. You look at that safety position now, and Smoke Monday will be back in the fall, Jamie and Sherwood, and then you got Jeremiah Denson, Daniel Thomas, and now Malcolm Askew. you got five guys there that I think can go out there and get the job done, and, and that's something that, hey, I didn't know where Malcolm was going to wind up in terms of position, and he got physical. Uh, we saw some of those Tiger drills where he took it to some guys, and that's a different side of Malcolm Askew, and, and I think probably one of the coaches were pretty happy to see. Jason, you had to steal my thunder with Harold Joyner. That was going to be my offensive pick, and I'll stick with it. I just think at some point in time that this guy is going to be a true secret weapon unleashed. And mark my words, sometime in 2019, Harold Joyner is going to score a big touchdown in a very big game. He is a unique athlete at his size, much as Joey Gatewood is at the quarterback position. They almost have identical builds now. And I would say that I, at the two players in his class, the 2018 class, that have transformed their bodies more than any two guys are Harold Joyner and Richard Gibbonor. Uh, but on defense, my pick will be Michael Harris. I'm hearing very good things about him. Uh, he has matured a lot, just as Joey Gatewood has. He's a guy that uh, very uh, loosey-goosey kind of personality when he got there, has tightened it up. Had a pick Had a pick in the A-Day game. Yeah, it, it become a favorite of, of some coaches that I know. Uh, he's just an endearing personality. I, I, I just, I, I've always really loved the kid personally, uh, and I think in a game at some point, obviously there's some guys that are probably going to play more than him at the linebacker position. When he gets on the field, Jason, you've seen him play, and I've seen him play. There ain't many people that hit as hard as this guy. He he will put himself out of a game sometimes by hitting people too hard. And that, that's something they've had to work on. But uh, Michael Harris and and, uh, and Harold Joyner would be my picks. Now, finally, Auburn did receive an A-day commitment. Chael Garnett, a three-star quarterback, a dual-threat quarterback, from Lake Wales, Florida. He's the number 21 dual-threat quarterback in the country. Um, when Ken, Kenny Dillingham was named offensive coordinator and quarterback's coach back in December, this is a guy uh, that he identified early in the process, started building a relationship with him. Uh, Chael, I keep mispronouncing his name. He visited Auburn in March, came away with an offer. The Tigers love him. He, he doesn't have what you'd call like this uh, a spectacular offer list, but a, a couple of the offers that stand out, I'll give you three of them. One, Harvard, uh, you know, honor student, and, and I think that's important. Two, UCF, and three, Duke. Well, if you look at, at Jason and, and, and uh, Brandon, you guys know this, if you look at what Duke and UCF have done in recent years at the quarterback position, you know, fans don't get excited uh, Auburn fans don't get excited when they see that those two schools have offered your quarterback recruit, uh, but those two schools have done better with quarterbacks in recent years than most of the programs in the Southeastern Conference, if we're being completely honest here. So uh, this is a guy that's played multiple sports, which means he's never devoted all of his time to the quarterback position, so he may have a high ceiling. This is not a, a stopgap. This is not a guy uh, that Auburn believes is just a guy to, to get in the class and bridge the gap between Bo Nix and what they hope to be a, a solid quarterback in twenty in the 2021 class. They believe that Chael Garnett is a guy that can play in the SEC, has all the tools, uh, both physically and upstairs. Jason, your thoughts on, on Chael Garnett? 
Yeah. The one thing that stands out to me is is when people think or hear the, the term dual threat, they automatically think runner probably can't throw. People need to go watch his film because he is a guy that can throw the ball and and do it very well. And he's he can run, but he, his thing is throwing the football. And you look at him in this offense, I think he's a guy that he ran 4-7 laser time um, on a pretty cold day um, just a couple of months ago. And uh, plenty fast enough for a guy. We mentioned Bo Nix, a guy you're going to get faster as you get in a college program. You're going to gain quickness as you get stronger. But to me, the thing that jumps out to me is his ability to throw the ball down the field. Um, he is a much better quarterback than that offer list portrays. Uh, there's no question about that. And I think he's a guy that as more people see him as he plays his senior year, I, I won't be shocked at all to see him skyrocket up some rankings. And um, for Auburn to get in on him early, and to ignore the fact that he didn't have all these big offers and, and to make him that target, I think this is one of the better early commitments that I can remember for Auburn because of that, because they trusted their evaluation, trusted their instincts on this guy, and I think they're going to be proven right. Well, I think you could say David Cutcliffe and Josh Heupel know a little bit about coaching quarterbacks, wouldn't you? Yeah, absolutely. I think you could make that argument. Uh, last season at Lake Wales High School, Chael passed, uh, completed 61% of his passes, a little over 2,000 yards, 18 touchdowns to only four interceptions, also ran for over 300 yards. And one thing we should point out, you know, uh, a lot of our for a lot of our uh, listeners and, and subscribers that live in Alabama and the metro Atlanta area, Jason and Brandon, you guys are in Alabama. I live in Atlanta. You've got Gwinnett County just northeast of Atlanta, that is so strong and so powerful and producing so much talent. But Chael Garnett is from Polk County, Florida. And if you don't know much about Polk County, Florida, the amount of talent to come out of Gwinnett County, I'm being honest, you could fit into a thimble compared to what has come out of Polk County in the last 20, 25 years. We're talking All-Americans, future Hall of Famers in pro football, just a, a wealth of talent. And this guy has distinguished himself as being one of the better recruits in that county, which, quite frankly, has more talent than probably 30 or 40 states as a whole out there. So this is a solid prospect who's starting to get a little bit more attention. Um, and uh, we think his uh, ranking probably will go up if he continues to do the things he has been doing. We know that Auburn is excited about this one. Again, they believe he's the, really the uh, a perfect fit for the program, both on and off the field. Well, that'll do it for this edition of the Auburn Undercover Podcast. I want to thank Brandon Marcello and Jason Caldwell, two of our outstanding team reporters. Brandon's also the Auburn Undercover Editor. He does a lot of things you don't see, including yell at me when I don't get my work done on time. So it's good to have these guys here. They know the team better than anybody. Make sure you continue to follow their work at AuburnUndercover.com and look for them on Twitter. I'd give you their Twitter accounts, but quite frankly, I didn't write them down. But listen, guys, we appreciate you stopping by. We'll do it again soon. Take care, everybody. No one has it covered like 24-7 sports. Go Undercover with Auburn Undercover. Auburn Undercover.